When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Good everyone and welcome into Extra Time with Ben Francis in the big chair tonight filling in for Ricardo Ball. We have four hours of a great guest coming up. Extra Time will be going from 7 through to 9 tonight and then from 9 to 11 we will have a two hour special of At The Oki, myself and Ben Rob in studio and we'll be hearing from seven of the PDC players that are over here for the New Zealand Darts Masters which is on this weekend and we'll be recapping uh, the Queensland Darts Masters and the New South Wales Darts Masters as well, as well as looking ahead to Hamilton, which Ben will be competing in. Uh, and there'll be lots of fun. We had a, I had a great catch up with lots of the the pros today, and boy, we had such a fun day. I'm still buzzing from it. It was so much fun. Uh, but coming up in the next couple of hours here on Extra Time, very soon we'll be talking to Gerard Crone and the host of the Warriors Anonymous uh, podcast. And we're going to be talking a bit about the Warriors and their loss to the Cowboys, which I see uh, is on the TV in front of me right now, which is very, very hard to watch, even though they're only down 10-0 on this replay. Uh, But we'll also be talking a bit about what we hope to see from them in the last couple of games of the season. Uh, They play the Panthers Friday night, 8 o'clock, and then they end their season at home against the Gold Coast Titans and... If you're a Warriors fan, hopefully you don't remember too much about what happened in that game last year when they ended their season against the Titans. Let's just hope they don't have a repeat of that. And then after that, we're calling West Island with Pete Fairburn. Pete and I will discuss quite a few topics that are making headlines over in Australia in the NRL and rugby as well. There are a couple of topics which both of us are very, very keen to discuss. At 8 o'clock, we have the editor of Rugby News, Campbell Burns, on the program. Uh, Campbell uh, will talk a bit about MPC and what's been going on uh, this year. We're three rounds in. Some teams have played four games. Uh, Some teams are a lot better positioned than others. There are quite a few teams exceeding expectations. But the one question I really want to put to Campbell is will Hawks Bay lose the Shield this weekend? I think Hawks Bay, from my perspective, have been a bit below par this year. And North Harbour coming, I think North Harbour will take the Shield off Hawks Bay this weekend. So I would love to get his thoughts, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. 0800 150 811, or you can text me on double eight double three. Will North Harbour win the Shield this weekend? My money is saying yes. And I actually think North Harbour are outsiders heading into that match. I know now the Shield, whenever the Shield game is on, the home team will always have that big advantage. But I just have that feeling 
living in the North Harbour region as well, I wouldn't complain even though North Harbour are not my team. But there's a heap of topics to discuss in the NPC. We have uh, Roger Tuivasa-Shek. He's going to be back at Auckland. Brody Retali. There's a few All Blacks running around now, which is great. Uh, so we'll be touching on some of those topics as well and some of the teams which have impressed him too. And then at 8.30, this is going to be a bit of a, a tough topic for a couple of people to discuss, is Liverpool. Yes, Liverpool, two draws and a loss to start their season. Many people thought they'd beat Manchester United today uh, based on how Manchester United had been, but no, United come away with a 2-1 win. And we've got Jacob Spoonley, who I believe is actually a Liverpool fan, so I hope this doesn't upset him too much. Uh, he will be on the program to talk about Premier League. Uh, we've had three rounds of games, and there's so many talking points from the Premier League already, and that's what makes it such a fascinating competition. So there's plenty of there to discuss. And as I said, after 9 o'clock, we have at the Oki, myself, Ben Robin studio, and we will be hearing from... All seven players, or seven of the players who are coming here, we've got Dimitri Vandenberg, uh, Gerwin Price, James Wade, Joe Cullen, Johnny Clayton, Michael Van Gerwen, and Michael Smith. All were fantastic. All of them were in here at the SCNZ studio today, interacting with uh, ourselves and some clients at the station. Quite a few uh, nine dart challenges going on, and I don't think many people fronted. I know I didn't. I kind of crumbled under, under the pressure. I'm happy to admit that. But I did pick up some tips along the way as well, so I guess that's the most important thing. But we've got all that to look forward to after 9 o'clock. It's uh, 5 minutes past 7 here on SENZ Extra Time. We'll take a quick break, and after that, we'll hear from Gerard Cronin, the host of the Warriors Anonymous podcast. Tell, thinking about my transition into 12. Richie Mwanga. As far as I can remember, I was always going to be a rugby player. I was always going to be where I am now. They're all on there, so go check it out on the SENZ app. Had a busy day? Catch up on what you've missed in the world of sport. It's Extra Time on SENZ. You're listening to SNZ's Extra Time with Ben Francis here through until 9 o'clock tonight. And then from 9 to 11, it is going to be two hours of darts. We're going to be talking all things darts with the New Zealand Darts Masters in town. But we have a few other sporting topics to cover off before then. And one of them is the team I love talking about lots, even though they're not going so good. And that is the New Zealand Warriors. And to talk the Warriors with me, I've got the host of the Warriors Anonymous podcast, Gerard Cronin, on the line with me. Gerard, how are you today? A very good evening to you, mate. I am going pretty well, considering uh, the previous week's result. Uh, all things thought, uh, I think I'm pretty positive, really. Yeah, that was a bit of a, a tough one to solo, wasn't it? 48 points conceded against the Cowboys. Uh, had a few people say to me over the weekend, oh, you know, you got, you got thumped by the Cowboys. And I said, oh, well, at least we weren't the West Tigers. <laughs> That's right. I mean, look, they, uh, to be fair, I actually feel like the Cowboys did leave a few points out there on the field as well, which is quite a scary thing. We could have been getting up there towards sort of Tiger sort of territory. But um, but I guess, you know, we, we just held on enough to not get completely destroyed, which is nice. I don't know about you, but do you find it hard seeing... Like we've got former Warriors players there, so Chad Townsend added his hand in a couple of tries and so did Peter Hicker. It's always it's always a bit hard when you see these former Warriors do this to the Warriors. 
Oh, very much so. And it was interesting watching our attack because the previous week, everything we tried seemed to turn to gold against the uh, the Bulldogs. This week, we didn't quite have that same sort of impact. And it was almost as though maybe Todd Payton had held on to a, uh, an old defensive book from the Warriors and, and had a look at it and thought, oh, surely they will run the same plays as two years ago. Uh, and it looks as though we probably were. So uh, they, they were able to read us. They were able to shut us down at our key points. And really, our attack just looked completely lackluster. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but Stacey Jones says it's all... Uh, you know, all attitude. I think it's probably a mix of attitude and uh, and structure. I think is what's going on. What do you make of his comments? He said after the game, and it's not the first time he said this this season. He said about eight or nine guys didn't look like they were playing for the jersey, which you'd think with a guy like Stacey Jones at the helm as your interim coach, that would probably be the first thing you would do. You would know, oh, we've got this club legend here. I think most people would definitely have him top two. Some people would have him as number one, but. If he's your coach, you you should be playing for the jersey with if he's in charge. You know what do you make of his comments? And I, 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 well, look, it's been a tough one. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough few years. Uh, and I think probably the team's probably gotten to the point where they're really looking forward to just you know ending the season, uh, finishing things off, and being able to actually just you know start again next year because it's going to be a real rebirth for the team, a real rebirth for the fans and the coaches. So I think there's probably an element of, you know, some guys looking towards next year. A lot of these guys who are currently in the squad, your Reese Walsh's, your Ewan Atkins, and also your Ellie Cathors, all looking to be, you know, going to greener pastures next year as well. So so I guess there's, there's probably one I just kind of looking at what's to go, um, you know, two to come, as they say in cricket. But um, I, I, I guess it's, it is hard. I know I'm not making, um, you know, too many excuses for them because you got to turn up. It is your job. you got to turn up and, and, you know, do what you're supposed to do. But um, I, I can understand why there would be a bit of a fall-off. We saw it towards the end of last year as well. Remember the last game we played against the Titans and we got absolutely flogged by them. So kind of hoping that we can maybe just do slightly better than that. Uh, this year. Oh, why did you have to remind me of that game last year? <laughs> <laughs> I can never forget that game, and I'm looking forward to the rematch that's coming uh, well, in a couple of weeks' time over at Mount Smart Stadium. I want our boys to just make it really, really uncomfortable for those Titans, just as a bit of payback for, for what happened at the end of last year. Oh, I guess there's, at least there's no Kane Evans on the team this year, which will might make a bit of a difference. <laughs> but uh, the Warriors this week, they face the top of the table Penrith Panthers, and uh, the Warriors have got their team out, and there is a couple of changes to the lineup. I see Chanel Harris Tavita is back, which is great. So I know many fans wanted to see him kind of get a, another run before, of course, he's taking a. Well, he's not retiring. He's he's almost taking a sabbatical next year. And I also see uh, Josh Curran has moved into the starting lineup. He's in the second row there. Uh, Dynamis Louie is added on the bench as well. Uh, I don't think he's there next year either. Uh, and I think those are pretty much the main changes to the, the team. I see uh, Tom Alley, he's still there, which is great. Freddie Lussick's still there. Uh, what do you make of the changes to the team? Well, look, I'm happy to see Chanel Harris-Tavita come back into the lineup. I was actually hoping that he was going to be going into a different jersey, though. I really wanted him to go back to the, the fullback spot and maybe just give Reese Pretty Eyes a, either a rest or, or just you know call it a day there his Warriors career uh, because the defensive frailties that he showed last week they were yeah they they weren't great they weren't as pretty as his eyes that's for sure 
Um, so, yeah, I, I was a bit disappointed that Chanel is not being pushed into the number one jumper um, uh, and to replace Reese because I think Uffie has actually been going reasonably well um, over the past you know little while. Uh, in terms of bringing Josh Curran into the starting lineup, that's an absolute no-brainer. And frankly, uh, it's been a bit of a head-scratcher as the way he wasn't in there for the past couple of weeks. I've been giving Stacey a bit of a bit of a doubt. Maybe Josh might have been carrying something or managing his minutes in some sort of way. Uh, but you know, we could see from that game against the Cowboys <laughs> when he lost his, uh, you know, he lost his, I guess, temper a little bit at the referee, where he, he's showing that he, he's really uh, invested in what he's doing. And he really cares about the jersey. Um, so I, I like the fact that he's in there. Uh, I probably would have hoped to get a, a start for Tom Ale, who, who was quite impressive last week off the bench. His numbers have been growing over the past couple of weeks, and I've I actually been quite impressed with what he's offering. So uh, another big body, or a big body, which is a, a good um, asset for the Warriors to have because they're a bit light lately. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of would have hoped he might have pushed into the starting 13 as well. But, you know, I guess we have to wait and see in, on game day and see what tricks Stacey might try and pull out. So if you were the coach, would you have had Chanel at fullback and then I would say Reese Walsh coming off the bench instead of Freddie Lussick? I don't know. I don't even know if I would have had Reese in the squad. Um, don't I, 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 I like him as a 14th man, but Freddie Lussick has been doing a pretty solid job for us and he offers a lot. I like the fact that he can spell Wade Egan for a you know, good period. Uh, I don't know if I would have put Reese in there at all. Um, just the yeah, based on what happened last week and, and the kind of game that we need, we can't afford to have such you know defensive breakdowns and errors at the back, uh, whereby we're just not closing anything. Basically, a line break turns straight into a try. Uh, whereas you know other teams they concede line breaks and can cover it. So um, yeah, I, I actually would have maybe put Reese out just maybe just into the, the reserve reserves uh, for this coming week at least, and, and possibly even for the Titans game. Yeah, it's quite a curious case. I think he's kind of. I think as the season's progressed, it almost does seem like he's kind of got one eye uh, on that move to the Broncos, which is a, a bit of a shame. But I think that just is perfectly normal for some for some players. And just looking at who they've got off contract, a couple of names jumping out. We said Dinama Sui before. I don't think it's a surprise that he's not coming back. But uh, Dejan Arce, I think he got he fronted the media last week, and he kind of said. Uh, you know, your typical cliche uh, rugby league or any kind of rugby answer, I guess, where he said, oh, you know, wait, just waiting for my manager to sort it out, you know, wait till the end of the season, blah, blah, blah. And he's off contract. And he's one guy that I think would suit. I'd like him to stay. Uh, I know he's been playing in the halves, but he has the capabilities at centre. But Jack Murchie is the other one who hasn't been offered a contract yet as far as I'm aware, and he's not in the 17 this week. Out of those two... Who would you rather than keep if they could keep one? A hundred percent, I would rather keep Dejan Asi. I think he has plenty to offer, like you mentioned, in a couple of different positions. He's got some skills that no one else on our side has. He's got a thunderous left boot. Um, you know, against the Bulldogs, he was sending them skyward and, and you know scraping the bottom of, uh, of satellites there with uh, some of those kicks. Uh, so yeah, I, I would like to keep him. I know it's, it's a tough one because of the personnel we have coming in next year. Obviously, we've still got uh, Ronald Boltzmann, who's injured at the moment. Um, Sean, of course, will be the half. We've also got Luke Metcalf coming, uh, Temaire Martin as well. So there's a bit of a, uh, there's going to be a balancing act in terms of how we rotate our number six. 
as well. We've got Dylan Walker who can, you know, spot in there as well as required. So there's a bit of traffic going on around that number six jumper in particular. But I, yeah, I'm like you. I would like to see him stick around. I think he's got plenty of, of uh, yeah, plenty to offer the team. I like the fact that he wants to be there as well, which has you know definitely been a, a key thing to look for in players and coaches. Um, yeah, I would definitely prefer to keep Dejan on. Um, I know that Mitchie is, um, you know, Mitchie's put in a pretty good effort, but um, again, we've got some you know cattle coming in next year with Mitch Barnett. Um, uh, Marata Nukore as well um, coming into the second row to bolster those stocks and you know I, I just feel like Murchie's probably got a few errors in him um, especially in the Warriors setup. so I would be less disheartened uh, if he was forced to go as opposed to Dejan Ati Two games left in the season for the Warriors. Uh, they still have a chance of finishing in that wooden spoon spot although very unlikely which is uh, great that they're going to avoid it Uh I know I'm asking you to pick this early, and I think it's, I think for me personally, I think it's already wrapped up, so that's why I'm happy to ask it. Who is your, who has been your player of the season at the Warriors for 2022? Oof, now there is a question. Uh, oof, let's see. I would probably, I would probably side with consistency. I wouldn't go with extremely amazing performances or extremely poor performances. I would look at the guy right in the middle there, Wade Egan. Uh, he has just been a real steadying influence. His game has definitely improved from where it was at the start of the season. Um, and he's, yeah, I think he's come on really well and become such an important cog in the Warriors' wheel. So, I yeah, I would go with Wade as my um, yeah, Warriors player of the year. Uh, be interested to see how people um, place that because um, that's, yeah, that's cool. Caught me off guard there. That's kind of just um, off my head, I reckon. Well, you said you caught you off guard, but I think you gave the right answer because the way I see it, I think he does have it wrapped up, and that's why, as I thought, with two games to go, I feel like that he is going to get there. And I guess the other thing with him as well, that he has pretty much been there most of the season. And you think of the rest of the, the key players in the Warriors, they've kind of been in and out, or they, they've had picked up injuries. So they don't think they've actually been there throughout the entire season. But uh, text through double eight double three. who do you think your Warriors player of the season is so far? I know there's two games to go, uh, but I would agree that that would be Wade Egan. Uh, look, just looking at the rest of the team, what would you be hoping to get see from the Warriors in their last two games of the season? I know there are a few guys leaving, uh, of course, some a couple staying on. But as a fan, what are you hoping you see out of them with two games left? Because you want them to finish on a high, especially as we touched on that unfortunate game last year to end the season. What do we want from them? Yeah, look, I, I'd be I'd be probably lying if I expected a heck of a lot from this game against the Panthers, based on being you know that we're playing the Panthers uh, and also the fact that we are away we seem to lately just transform into a, a a New South Wales Cup level five when we're playing away from home whereas when we come back to North North Stadium we get there in front of our crowd and the, the extra bit of rain and wind that puts the Aussie boys off um, we seem to yeah just grow a little bit when we play at home so I won't expect much from them against the Panthers I hope we finish strong and I hope we really give it to the Titans uh, in that final game. Um, from the, the last two games overall, I would actually like to see a bit more progress and a bit more investment in our young guys like Viliami Vailea uh, and Tom Ale um, and, and Ed Coffey as well. I'm 
we've been, um, you know, in building lately and scoring tries and doing well. And, you know, it's still got the odd era and I'm here and there, but I'd like to see the club really just say to these guys, you know, you are the future. We're going to back you. We're going to give you opportunities to succeed. Um, so I want to see those guys get given a bit more responsibility and opportunity uh, and hopefully that they can thrive and you know, get a bit of confidence as they head into the off-season. Uh, mate, I know we've been talking Warriors, but I do have one uh, general NRL question uh, for you with two games to go. Broncos or Raiders, who do you think will get that last spot in the top eight? Ooh, there we go. There's a big, big question. Uh, I, I'm good at those, mate. I'm very good at those. Yeah. Hard-hitting journalist. Um, I actually, personally for me, this is a little bit swimming against the um, the tide here, but I actually feel like the Broncos will make the top eight, and I'm more worried about either the Roosters and the Rabbitohs. Um, and, and I think that there's a potential for Raiders to sneak a spot at the expense of either the, the Chooks or the Bunnies, uh, just based purely on their draw that I'm looking at. Obviously, this week, the Roosters got the Storm over in Melbourne. That's going to be a tougher hunt. Uh, and the Rabbitohs uh, at home against the Cowboys, who obviously they're on the table, so they're doing all right as well. So basically, I think if either of those teams get done this week, it becomes sudden death for them the following week when the Roosters and Rabbitohs play each other. And I think that, yeah, if, if one of these teams loses this week, then I think Canberra could just sneak in there um, and, and maybe just sneak a swap. But I guess, yeah, it's, it's all to be um, determined. There's a they're going to be relying, the Raiders will be relying on Roosters and Rabbitohs losing two games. But honestly, I think there's every chance that that could happen. That's quite interesting saying that. I think I think the Raiders are going to sneak in personally myself, as you say, kind of looking at the draw. Uh, I think they will do it. Do you ever have a rough early uh, top eight prediction on who you think will make the final? Like the grand final? Yeah, the grand final. Uh, yeah, okay. I would probably think that I think the Panthers should be too good to get through. Um, and I also think that there is a team who's probably got a couple of shocks in them. And I actually think they might be the Paramount Eels. Wow. I've had a, a funny little year uh, whereby at the start of the year, a lot of pundits were saying, you know, this is the year they're going to break their drought. I thought that was a little bit overrated. Uh, and then a few games back, um, there were people saying that they were going to miss the eight. And I thought that was a little bit... Um, yeah, a little bit overreaction as well. But uh, I actually feel like the Eels, I mean, they've beaten both the Storm and the Panthers this year. So they've knocked them off. Um, so I actually think they've got the firepower to pull a shock and pull an upset. Uh, and I just feel like that, yeah, that they could well, if they come right. They were pretty unlucky last year to lose to the Panthers in one of their knockout games. They only lost by two points. And of course, the Panthers went on to win the Premiership. So... I, I'm just sneakily looking at the para eels and what they might be able to do, even though they're not a top four side. Uh, mate, uh, I don't know what the odds are in Australia. I'm just trying to get them up now. But have you seen the uh, head-to-head odds uh, for the Warriors Panthers game uh, this weekend at the TAB in New Zealand? <laughs> I, I, have, uh, I haven't seen the um, the New Zealand version, but I have seen the uh, one of the Australian ones, and it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually just got the Australian one up now. It's actually it's actually worse. I thought I thought the odds in New Zealand were bad, but this is even worse. Jeepers! A dollar one for the Panthers and fifteen for the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, look. Uh, if you want to um, 
if you want to, I don't know, that, that, that's, a, that's pretty enticing odds. Um, if it wasn't maybe the Warriors, you'd probably be tempted to go for it. But I guess there'll be some loyal supporters out there to, you know, go and put a couple of dollars behind them. I may not be that person, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, as I said, the TAB in New Zealand has the Warriors at $13, so that's slightly uh, slightly better, but it's, <laughs> it doesn't offer much. Uh, <laughs> Oh, mate, I think we have to end it there after that. I'm I'm quite upset seeing that. So, uh, Jared Cronin, thank you so much for your time this evening and uh, up up the Warriors. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, mate. Go the Warriors. That is a lot of money. $15 at the TAB in Australia and 13 in New Zealand for the Warriors to win. Yikes. Uh, it's 27 minutes after 7 here on Extra Time. Coming up after the break, we are going across to West Island with Pete Fairburn. Twenty-eight minutes away from eight here on SCNZ Extra Time, and those are the bells, which means we are crossing live to West Island. Uh, this man's been a regular contributor on Extra Time for the last year, but it's going to be my first uh, time properly talking to him, and that's Pete Fairburn. Pete, how are you today? Yeah, good evening, Benny, and I'll tell you what, mate. Um, SEN in Australia and in NZ has always had a knack for for finding good talent under their nose and giving them the opportunity to shine and. Boy, I'll tell you what, it surprised me that, that Hutchie and Ricardo and the boys have taken a year to get you on the airwaves like this, but uh, mate, fantastic to, uh, to have the opportunity to chat with you. Oh, I appreciate that. Can I can I get you to write me a reference by any, by some chance? <laughs> I'd love that. That would be great on my reference uh, for, for the CV. Not not need to say I need it updated, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, mate, we'll start talking with some uh, NRL and... The uh, round just gone. Boy, there were some big scores put on. Uh, I had quite a few people give me grief over the weekend by how much the Warriors lost by, but then I said, well, at least I'm not a West Tigers fan uh, who conceded 72 points. You know, what have you made of all that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think uh, what we've seen this year in the NRL competition, and uh, unfortunately for them, I think a lot of the data dropped um, on, on Thursday and Friday of last week saying, you know, there's less less blowouts, you know, the different interpretation of the, the six again rule and, and, and you know, the teams who are looking to rort that by giving away the six again, um, you know, being shut down this year. And uh, that in general, there'd been less blowouts. It was a more even competition. Uh, and then we have the weekend that w- that's just been, uh, you know, and, and you start to reconsider. Look, I, I think there's a, a combination of factors at, at play here, Benny. I think, you know, clearly in the case of teams like the Warriors and the, the West Tigers, you've got a number of, of players who've had a, a pretty punishing season uh, for myriad reasons. Um, you know, certainly with the Warriors, we know the emotional toll of, of starting, um, you know, and spending so much of the season over here in, in West Island, as you like to call it. Um, you know, both teams obviously going through changes of head coach. You've got a number of players at each organisation moving on, a number of players who know that they, um, they won't have an opportunity beyond this season. Um, but at the same time, you know, I still think it's really disappointing for a competition that, yeah, you know, any sporting competition that has a salary cap as its base model should really um, be able to prevent blowouts of this nature happening too frequently. So a bit of a black eye for the competition and commercially certainly not what they'd be wanting to see at this late stage of the season where really, you know, even heading into to last weekend, there's only nine teams competing for eight spots. So in terms of storylines, they're already having to go outside the box and, 
and find some different storylines to, to retain some semblance of relevance for those other seven teams. Uh, and when they get belted by that many, it doesn't exactly encourage people to keep the television switched on or to make the effort to get to the ground. Yeah, that's what the other point I wanted to get to was, as you said, there's only really nine teams fighting, or there's only nine teams really still in contention with two rounds to go, and that's not re- what you really want for a competition. You really want it coming down to the last round, and there's going to probably be, what, five teams competing for, what, two, three spots? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I know Kiwis don't like talking about AFL too much, but... Uh, please indulge me for a moment as I talk you through the final round of the AFL season that we've just seen last weekend. And um, it, it was quite extraordinary. We had a team in Carlton who'd spent the entire 23-round season in the top eight um, and ended up losing their match to Collingwood by one point, which saw them finish ninth and missed finals Ooh. after the Western Bulldogs had, had won earlier that day in Tasmania against Hawthorne to go above them. So you had three fixtures, um, Sydney St Kilda as well, on that final day on Sunday that all had implications for just that eighth spot on the ladder, let alone um, you know, comp, you know, just uh, you know, playing finals at all. You had um, implications across the top four, which gives a double chance in the AFL over the course of the weekend. It was a promoter's dream, and that's why there are eighty-eight thousand people at the MCG on on uh, Saturday to watch, oh, sorry, on Sunday to watch Carlton Collingwood at a I think a three twenty kickoff. So not even you know, a really traditional time slot for, for a big audience. So um, that's exactly what competitions want and, and it's what we don't have in the NRL this time around. Something that's always been a bugbear of mine um, is, is obviously when you see teams who are in contention taking advantage of that loan system and getting players in to top themselves up, heading into final series, and it gives a bit of financial relief to the club who's loaning them out who... who would probably be selecting them, but being out of finals contention, it's dead money. We saw it last year really controversially with Tavita Pangai Jr. Um, he was already leaving the Broncos. He'd already signed for the Bulldogs in 2022. So he went on loan and, and finished the season at the Penrith Panthers and helped to spearhead their charge towards the Premiership last year. And although he was injured and I think he missed the grand final, um, you know, clearly um, what, what that did was, was really help them with their platform in terms of getting that far in the competition. Not exactly what I'd call an even playing field. When they start the season without a player like that, then they're able to get them at a, a fairly low budget rate um, because it just doesn't serve the interests of the non-finals playing team to retain them. We've seen it this year. Um, the one that will sing for, for you guys across the ditch is probably Matthew Lodge, who we know got a massive full payout of his contract when he left the Warriors early. Didn't work out there. And he's been able to register on a short-term contract at the Roosters, I think 140 k for, for eight or nine matches for them, which is... is you know, chump change in the pursuit of a premiership, really. Um, and, and, you know, again, David Nofaluma goes from the West Tigers, who, um, who admittedly hadn't been playing him, but I think most people thought it should have been. He goes down to the Melbourne Storm to strengthen that organisation after they tried to have a crack at, at getting uh, Josh Adokar back. You know, it's, it's, it's not a great element of that system and, and, and certainly doesn't help in terms of avoiding these blowouts and keeping those teams towards the back end of the ladder competitive right to the end. The other thing that you've got, um, I, I guess, in the AFL, which, uh, which is a bit different to the NRL, is you've got draft implications at play as well. Um, so if, any, you know, if, if anything, you've got greater reason to lose towards the end of the year in the AFL because you finish bottom, you get the first draft pick. But we don't seem to, to see it happen as often. There seems to be contests right into the end of that competition. 
Uh, so the NRL certainly got plenty to look at from that point of view. Exactly, and I actually do quite like AFL. I don't watch it all too much, but I definitely do enjoy following <laughs> it. And I know I didn't mention this when I when we kind of were discussing topics, but I wanted to, and I should have actually, because it's something I did want to discuss, was what on earth is going on uh, with the Bombers and sacking their coach? I know it seemed like social media just blew up uh, when uh, Ben Russian was given the flick. Yeah, look, it's pretty phenomenal. You've got a situation where Alistair Clarkson, who's a three-time premiership winning coach at Hawthorne, uh, finished up at that club at the end of last year and, and had a sabbatical this year, went on study tours and uh, you know, did little bits of media and he's been part of the task force to determine whether Tasmania, um, you know, the feasibility study there around whether they should have an AFL team and, and had declared he wanted to get back into the senior coaching market in 2023. Um, and, and there's you know, three teams now, but um, as recently as, as kind of, a week ago, there are only two teams in the market for a head coach. That's North Melbourne, the team he played for when he was uh, playing AFL football, who've been a basket case for a number of years, finished on the bottom of the ladder, um, strong emotional pull there, but but he had said he wanted to coach a contender. The alternative was the GWS Giants in Greater Western Sydney, who are a new franchise, you know, small supporter base, um, and, and would involve moving to another city, which probably didn't appeal to Clarkson either. So Essendon, um, in, in, in one of the more um, reactionary moves we've really seen in the, in the AFL in a number of years, decided to sack their coach, being a big, strong, powerful club, and throw themselves in the mix to try and, and usurp North Melbourne and, and sign Alistair Clarkson as their head coach. Um, you know, kind of saw it, I guess, as an unprecedented opportunity to sign a guy like Clarkson who doesn't come along very often. Problem is, these other teams have been putting four, five, six, seven weeks worth of pursuit into Clarkson, Essendon, tried to do it in three days without actually sacking their coach either. They just went and, and basically um, tried to sign Clarkson and, and didn't communicate with their coach what was going on at all. He turned them down. He goes back to North Melbourne. You've got a situation where the players are blowing up at the board and, and saying, you've undermined our coach. He coaches the last game, gets the sack anyway. Very much more reminiscent of what we might see in the English Premier League or in the NFL, you know, in, in some of these sports where where changes of coach and manager are, are a little bit more ruthless, I guess, but, but certainly not something we're accustomed to seeing in this part of the world. And, um, you know, Essendon's got a passionate fan base and they haven't had success in a long, long time, so they're certainly blowing up. Yeah, I see social media was just going berserk and it was quite fascinating seeing how many people were angry with that decision. But uh, we'll move on and we've got quite a few topics in, uh, in rugby to discuss, mate. Uh, the scrum clock... Uh, <laughs> What's your thoughts on this? Oh, look, a really interesting concept. I think one of the biggest challenges rugby has, uh, you know, as, as we try and make sure rugby continues to, to have, you know, such a strong influence, um, you know, on sport in the Southern Hemisphere is the fact that for a current generation who are used to being, being able to watch what they want, when they want to do it, flick channels, etc., they want to be constantly entertained and rugby is a very stop-start game. The NRL, the AFL, these competitions continue to try and speed themselves up so that you don't have an opportunity to flick channels. You know, big bash as opposed to, t to test match cricket. That's kind of how the, the younger generation are, um, are, are, I guess, kind of consuming content. Rugby doesn't have that, and it's got a lot of scrum, uh, scrum resets. It's got a lot of time with ball out of play, that sort of thing. So the idea of introducing a 60-second scrum clock is designed to ensure that Teams are getting into position quickly and packing that scrum quickly, hopefully still safely. Um, I, I don't mind it as an idea. I think we need to look at ways in which rugby can uh, move with the times. It's a very traditional sport. It's a 
difficult and challenging sport to bring new people into who don't necessarily understand the rules um, and who don't necessarily understand why there's so much sitting around. And when you're in a, a stadium watching a game of rugby, have a look around you and see how much time people spend on their phones because there is so much dead time. That's what, what rugby's got to try and eliminate. And this is only one small step in that process, but I think it's a positive one. Yeah, I agree. And, of course, they've had the shot clock uh, for the scrums in the NRL for a while, and teams do get penalised when that siren does go off and uh, when the scrum hasn't been set in time and the other team gets a, a penalty or a free kick. So it's it's working in the NRL, so I don't see why they can't implement it in rugby because, you know, you, you, you would agree the amount of times you actually do watch rugby in five minutes and they're still trying to reset that same scrum. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, look, obviously in rugby, you know, the, the contested nature of the scrums means there is a, a greater safety component than there is in the NRL, but... Oh, you know, I applaud any initiatives to speed up the game, make it a you know more engaging content for the next generation of people coming through. Who, um, you know, unlike probably people of my vintage, who you had a you know a choice of switching to three or four other channels if if, if you didn't like what you were watching. You know, people now can watch whatever they want when they want to. So you've got to really you know, keep people engaged, and, and and if you've captured them in the first instance, you've got to keep them there. Uh, there's been a bit of talk recently about a draft for Super Rugby. We were touching on a draft in the NRL before, but what would you, do you think that would have a big impact in Super Rugby? Yeah, again, really, really interesting. And yeah, none of these ideas are brand new, right? They get rolled out every few years um, when we're looking at um, you know, different ways in which Super Rugby can, can continue to have a significant presence. Super Rugby's biggest challenge is the fact that it's not the number one um, competition or the number one um, aspiration for the players in its code. So very different, um, you know, to a lot of other competitions in the world where, where you know, Super Rugby is almost um, a warm-up tournament for international footy for a lot of people, and that's the lens through which it's viewed. So we've got to change that. We've got to have excitement, and we've got to have the ability to, um, you know, produce content and, and engaging media um, content around Super Rugby and not just rugby as a sport. You know, for, for a greater period of the year. And I read a great interview with the new head of Sky Sky Sport over there, uh, Justin Wilson, in, in, in the spin-off over there in New Zealand, who had a really interesting take on, on some of the things Super Rugby needs to do to remain relevant, you know, for a greater proportion of the year. Look, a draft's really interesting, right? Um, you know, in the AFL, in the NBA, um, you, you've got elite talent who, who the diehard fans, you know, know who these kids are. They follow them and, and see what they're doing at a high school level. Um, or in the US, I guess, more so at a, at a college level. And, you know, players are getting drafted and you feel like you know so much about them as they're getting drafted. In Super Rugby, we're probably not looking at necessarily 17, 18-year-olds and a draft there that gives everyone an opportunity to, to sign the best talent because there are academies and things in place uh, designed to already capture them. And, and that's probably not going to give the code the sugar hit it wants from a you know, a, a publicity perspective, but perhaps more a draft around marquee talent, I think, could work quite well. And, and even the ability to have players, um, you know, have those borders open between Australia and New Zealand and the islands. And, you know, if you're playing for for the Hurricanes, you remain eligible for the Wallabies and vice versa. You know, wouldn't it be great to see, um, you know, if you go back 10 years or so when teams like the Melbourne Rebels came into the competition, instead of signing a Danny Sapriani, it would have been great if they could have signed a Dan Carter, but he remained eligible for the All Blacks. You know, that, that type of initiative, I think, will take Super Rugby to the next level. And, and really, now that we don't have South African teams in the competition, I think we do need to view it through a lens, you know, same as the NRL, where a player can be playing for any team in the NRL and be eligible for any country that, um, that they're able to, to represent. I, I think the same would probably apply in Super Rugby. And, 
I think it'd be really exciting. You'd love to see Quade Cooper playing at the Blues. You'd love to see, um, you know, Julian Savier on the wing for the Waratahs. Why not, I say? I think it'd be a great initiative. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SCNZ Extra Time. Ben Francis filling in for Ricardo Ball tonight. Coming up this hour, we have Jacob Spoonley, former All-Whites goalkeeper, to talk uh, all things English Premier League. And, of course, after 9 o'clock, we have two hours of At The Oki as we preview the New Zealand Darts Masters. As I said, we had all the, the PDC pros in the studio earlier today, and it was great catching up with all them. But uh, before all that, it's time to talk some NPC rugby with the editor of Rugby News Magazine, Campbell Burns. Campbell, how are you today? Very good evening to you there, Ben. I'm good, mate. That's good to hear, good to hear. And uh, we're three rounds through the, the Bunnings NPC. I know some teams have played four games, but what have you made of the competition so far? Oh, mate, it's been good. Um, I've enjoyed it. It's certainly been wall-to-wall rugby. Uh, what with the, the All Blacks and the Farrah Palmer Cup um, and, and, of course, first of Dean finals. So, um, yeah, there's been, there's been plenty happening. I think Sky televised something like 16 games last weekend, which was crazy. I mean, I got... I ended up getting through about four of them, but uh, you, you've got to say some of the rugby's been been pretty good, and there's been plenty of upsets. Uh, four of them in the uh, in, in in the last round from the weekend, so that's uh, that's a pretty good sign for the competition so far. Yeah, which team has probably surprised you the most with how well they've gone so far? Oh, look, I'd, I'd say probably Northland. Um, Northland has has really tightened things up, and they've picked up. Uh, They've picked up two wins uh, in their first three rounds. I mean, they haven't scored a lot of points, but they've certainly tightened up their defence, and that's even without Tom Robinson, who's uh, missed a couple of games through injuries. But they've got a very good new signing in, in Josh Morby there at fullback. He scored a try on the weekend, and uh, they went down and beat Wellington in Porirua, which was uh, no mean feat. So um, Northland, you know, are certainly making a real play to make those quarterfinals in the um, what's a very competitive uh, evens conference there. Well, I'm not going to complain about that. And uh, has there been any update on the Jack Goodhue injury? Because he came, well, he played on the weekend, didn't he? But uh, there was a report, or the All Blacks confirmed yesterday that he's going to need surgery on his knee. Yeah, which is a shame. I mean, he certainly, um, he certainly gave a nice short ball for Josh Morby's try. But it sounds as though he's going to um, that, that might be be it for his season, uh, or at least in the short term, because uh, that was his first game back. So obviously, his knee's not quite right, which is a it's a real shame for, for him, but uh, I mean, you have to, have to say that Tony for have done quite well uh, without him. Uh, although they did have uh, another all back and in, in offered Tonga Fasi, I think, who played tight head on the weekend for them. So, um, you know, that's, that's a shame for Goodyear because we, we could do with some more centres. Um, particularly when it comes to all-black selection time. Yeah, exactly. And Northland are being your, I guess, your surprise team of the season. What about which team has probably not lived up to expectations thus far? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, probably probably Wellington, uh, who got beaten by Northland on the weekend. Very inconsistent. They started out with a hiss and more beating um, beating the Steamers at home um, in Wellington there, but then uh, but then they lost quite badly to Canterbury, and then losing again at home to, um, to to Northland really heaps a bit of pressure on them in that odds conference. Um, so they've got Taranaki on Sunday, so that's a must win for them. But then Taranaki has bounced back uh, fairly quickly. Um, after what was a you know, a fairly ragged start, losing their first two games, this was a team that was unbeaten last season. But uh, so there's a bit of pressure on for that Wellington Taranaki game in Wellington on sun on Sunday. Yeah, and Taranaki came away with a pretty big win on Canterbury uh, on the weekend for their first win of the competition. That was what did you make of that upset? 
Yeah, look, I only saw the highlights of that, but it looked as though the, the weather has been a bit of a uh, leveller uh, in some of these games. So it was very wet. Uh, Stephen Perifetta played very well at fullback and, and, and kicked the goals. Um, so that was uh, that was much needed. So I think in some of these games, um, and of course you, you, you never know with some of the squad rotation, you know how how strong Canterbury uh, were compared to their first two games. Um, although see, look, Romano did play, but you know that was an important one for Taranaki, and I think. With some of these sides, um, particularly around storm weeks, if they're going to be rotating players, um, you know, there, there, there might be an opportunity for, for sides to, to to come up with an upset if they if they go with their full strength combination. But uh, you would expect Taranaki to sort of kick on from this and and really make a play for the quarterfinals in the in the evens conference. Yeah, and I guess the other big upset from the last round of games was uh, Bayer Plenty up over Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Look, I watched that one on Sunday. Um, it was, there was it certainly wasn't affected by the weather, uh, but it was affected by the by the fact that Auckland uh, started very well and then just went right off the boil, um, which was uh, which was strange to see. But that that uh, Bay Plenty forward pack really got stuck into them, um, and so we didn't see a lot of Roger Tuivasa-Sheck after the opening sort of twenty minutes or so. Uh, I think he played pretty well overall. But uh, Auckland, it's funny they uh, they won their first three games, but probably other than the Manawatu game, probably didn't really hit their strap. So they they probably feel that um, after four games, they, you know, they're, they're only building into things. So if they can sort of cut out those errors, um, we, you know, you'd still expect Auckland to be one of the contenders. They've got Otago at Eden Park on Saturday, um, the Lynn Conning Memorial. So, you know, it's a, it's a big chance for Auckland to, to start showing some consistency. But that was a big win for the Steamers. First win at Eden Park uh, since that great day in 2004 when they when they lifted the Rand Village Shield. Oh, wow. It's been that long. I didn't, didn't realise that. But uh, you know, the, shield, the Shield's on, line this, on the line this weekend, actually. Hawke's Bay up against North Harbour. I think Brody Retallick will be in action for the Magpies. I have a feeling, and I said this last week, uh, I think North Harbour are going to take the Shield off Hawke's Bay. What do you think? <laughs> Mate, that, yeah, that would be a big call. That would be... If that happened, that would be only the second time in Harbour's history that they've lifted the shield. Uh, I have to say, I have been pretty impressed with their form in the first three games. Um, they smashed Manor two. They were competitive against Auckland, and then they beat Tasman last week, uh, although that was mainly through the boot of Bryn Gatland, uh, who kicked nine from nine. They only scored two tries to four against the Marco. But, um, you know, you've got to say North Harbour are looking pretty good uh, this year, so they'll go down there, you know, full of confidence. Uh Hawks Bay um, probably haven't quite hit their straps yet. Uh, they had to work hard to subdue Manor two in the first half on Sunday, um, and then they came home well after that. But I mean, I, I you know I actually took the, the Magpies to win the NBC at the start of the year, but that was really on the basis that they held the shield all the way through. So you know you, you know this will be a very big big test for them um, in the Randfield Shield. I mean they did they did uh, defeat County's Manukau, but only by a point in the end uh, in their first uh, NPC Shield defence. So. Big game for Hawks Bay. They'll they'll um, gladly welcome back Brody Retallick. I can't remember the last time he actually wore the uh, wore the black and white hoops uh, of Hawks Bay. But uh, North Harbour are actually uh, look as shaping as dark horses. So that that could potentially be a very close one. I do remember that when uh, North Harbour did win the Shield in 06 because I remember it came to my school uh, all, all the way back then <laughs> when I was a, when I was a little kid uh, with with high way back but, in the day. That was the yeah, yeah, that was uh, uh, Ruti Pokey was captain, and they they won it down there in uh, in Canterbury. So uh, you know, pe- people and people over the north shore of Auckland, uh, you know, can 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 start to dream again, maybe. 
Oh, there's a photo out of me. Oh, there's a photo of me out there somewhere with the shield. But yeah, I, I remember that very vividly. And I said that's kind of a, that's my big call this weekend. We're just looking ahead to the the games in round four. My big call is Harbour will win the shield off Hawks Bay. But there's plenty of other games on as well. We have got uh, Friday night Tasman against Canterbury. Uh, Tasman probably haven't hit their strides as well as probably as they were probably hoping. No, that's right. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they went down uh, to North Harbour on the weekend and uh, they also lost to Otago in round two. Um, so it hasn't been a great start. They have had a lot of injuries and, of course, now they've, the whole region has just been struck by this um, by this flooding. So I'm not even sure whether that game will go ahead in Blenheim because it sounds like the uh, the road trip uh, between Blenheim and Nelson is going to take seven hours now. So um, whether, they, uh, whether that splits the squad or whether they can even hold that game, who knows? But if they... If they do, they have had the wood on Canterbury in recent seasons. So, um, I mean, if they actually get that game going, then it could be and anything could happen there. Yeah, that's actually very true and uh, thoughts with the people down in that part of the country. And uh, Waikato will host uh, Manawa 2 also on Friday night. And uh, Turbos hasn't been a good a good season for them as well. No, well, I see they have, uh, they have been joined by John Plumtree. Um, yeah who was only three, three weeks ago the Allbacks Ford coach. He's now come on board to help Peter Russell out uh, in the, for the Fords, but uh, that worked for about half a game against Hawke's Bay, so they're going to need about uh, close to 80 minutes to trouble uh, the Mooloos, who, who probably, again, haven't, you know, haven't actually hit their straps, uh, but uh, potentially when they do, and they've got Damien McKenzie, don't forget, um, at 10, um, and some real firepower you know, uh, right across their squad, then... You'd think the Waikato would be too strong uh, in that game in Hamilton. Quite a cool story. Uh, we've got after nine o'clock. We've got lots of the uh, the professional darts players, and they're playing in Hamilton this weekend. And a couple of them used to play rugby, and they're actually uh, going along to uh, the Waikato. I think it's either tomorrow or Thursday. I can't remember which day, but they've got a couple of the guys there that used to play rugby going along. And I don't know if they're going to be putting their boots on, but they might might have a little go against the current crop of boys, which is quite cool. Um, we touched we t- touched on the Shield Challenge there. I'm, I'm back in Harbour, even though I'm not a Harbour supporter, but I've said my thoughts on that one. Uh, and Auckland Otago, briefly touched on. Can Otago get the upset in uh, Auckland? Oh, yeah, it'll be tough. It'll be tough. I mean, Auckland would go in uh, very strong favourites there. I think they've only lost to Otago uh, in the NBC at Eden Park probably twice in, in the you know 47 years. Um, so that, that's going to be tough for Otago. Although, although you know they're, they're actually not not a bad unit uh, this season, and I think they'll, they'll make the quarterfinals in the odd section. But I think this will be too much too much for them because Auckland will will bounce back, I'm sure, uh, on uh, on Saturday. What's well, uh, would you call it a top of the table clash? Because both the top of their uh, odd, the odds and evens at the moment. Just having a look at the quick quick look at the standings. Yeah, well that's right. Um, yeah, I mean it's still still early days, and I think Auckland's had a has a game in hand, so. Some of the, and, and Otago too, some of those sides with the Stormwax, it's a bit of a skewed table at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, technically it would be top of the table, but whether that translates into a crowd of more than uh, of more than 7,000 on uh, or six or 7,000 on, on Saturday night well, remains to be seen. And then on uh, Sunday, Bay of Plenty up against uh, Counties Monaco and Tauranga. Uh, the steam is actually well, two wins from three. Uh, counties, just the one win. How do you see that one going? Yeah, potentially, uh, potentially tight. Uh, although counties, the Steelers won't have those three All Blacks in their forward pack, and they do need to tidy up their lineout, which imploded a bit against Waikato on Friday night. So um, you'd you'd, you'd favour the steamers there, but counties Manukau looked tougher to beat this season. A bit more starch in their in their play. Um, 
Riley Hohepa, their new number 10, seems to be going pretty well and, and kicking the goals. Um, so the seamers of choice have to do the job, but if they play anything like they did in sort of the, in the second half against Auckland, then um, you'd think that they'd, they'd do that reasonably comfortably. Um, and I think that might be one of those uh, Chiefs, uh, Chiefs Country Cup games as well, um, two provinces in the Chiefs region. But, uh, yeah, that, it's in Tauranga there. And then uh, also on at the same time on Sunday, Wellington up against uh, Taranaki. That's one is at Sky Stadium. And just having a quick look here as well, Taranaki have only scored two tries. They've only got the one win. Uh, both sides are sixth place at, at the moment. Uh, would you call that a must win? Yeah, absolutely. It's starting to get desperate for both of them. But uh, Taranaki did the job against Canterbury uh, with the upset last week. So as I said, with the um, with Wellington's consistency, they yeah, we, we don't really know what's... Um, uh, what's happening with their with their squad? They seem to be players that come in and out. Um, I'm not sure whether they've quite got the mix in the forward pack uh, yet. Uh, they, uh, they, I think there was a shortage of um, of quality props. Uh, there were a couple of injuries there, and uh, so there's a bit of work for Wellington to do. So if they drop that, then there's uh, then there's real trouble. But um, it's usually usually a bit of a, a um, um, very much a slugfest when Wellington plays Taranaki. And then the last one of the the round I see is uh, Northland up against Southland. Yep, this is in uh, in Fongerai. So uh, yeah, Northland. I mean, gee, um, it's been a pretty good start. And there, I mean, Josh Moore will be playing against his old province, um, so he'll be keen to do well there. Um, but Northland, um, you know, I mean, they'll be wanting to score more tries, but at least they're not leaking too many. So this is potentially potentially another sort of a low scoring game. Um, the, the Stags haven't been too far off the pace, actually. They've played some good footy, but I just wonder whether they've got the wherewithal to actually um, to win some of these games. Um, but they'll certainly be targeting this, um, you know, to try and make some uh, some inroads in the in the odds conference um, because they're winless so far, Southland, uh, but certainly more competitive uh, than they have have shown in, in recent times. So. Northland would, would be favoured, though, uh, by probably 1-12. to 12 uh, Which of, out of all those games would be your pick of the round? Uh, well, you're, you're probably probably the Shield Challenge, yeah. Uh, Hawke's Bay, North Harbour. I mean, I can see I can see 10,000 people getting along to um, to Napier on, on Saturday um, if the weather holds uh, because North Harbour haven't got much to lose and they're, they're playing some pretty good code. And I think Bryn Gatlin's probably the form number 10 uh, in the competition, so very certainly certainly the best goal kicker. So it's a time for Hawke's Bay to show that their depth uh, really counts for something there. And, uh, I mean, Brodie Retallick back. Um, I don't know whether he's going to play 40 minutes or, or more, um, but uh, watch out for the, the big guzzler to, to be shifting some bodies and uh, in at the breakdown. So that, that's potentially the, uh, the game of the round. Campbell Burns, editor of Rugby News Magazine, thank you very much for your time tonight and uh, enjoy watching uh, no a whole problems, lot of rugby mate. over the weekend. Uh, yeah, mate, and uh, well, there's also the All Blacks and the Black Ferns as well, um, plus so much plus the Dean stuff. So, um, mate, yeah, there's going to be uh, the, the the mice guy might be taking a bit of a hammering on on the weekend. Yeah, I we'll have to get have to delete some of the files on there and uh, clear, clear some space because it's going to be a <laughs> heck of a lot. But I can. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, well, and uh, yeah, we'll right, talk again soon. Cheers, mate. Well, that there was editor of Rugby News Magazine, Campbell Burns, and it is 15 minutes past eight here on SENZ. Coming up after the break, we will talk some English Premier League.
20 minutes past eight here on SCNZ Extra Time. You're listening to Ben Francis filling in uh, for Ricardo Ball. We've had a couple more texts through come through on double A double three. A couple more to people saying about Sean Johnson being their Warriors player of the year. Quite interesting. So that's four for Sean Johnson and uh, myself and Gerard Cronin picking uh, Wade Egan. So if you just text through double eight double three or call us 0800-150-811. Tell us who your Warriors player of the year is. Uh, we've got a little bit of time between now and nine o'clock before we talk all things darts for two hours. And the song that just came into there uh, into the show was uh, Walk of Life by Dire Straits. And if you've seen the music video, it's essentially a whole lot of sporting bloopers. And I don't know if that was timed to perfection uh today because i don't know how to sum it up to be fair well liverpool heading into this game i don't want to say you can almost say it was a must a must win game playing against the arch rival manchester united manchester united had been dogs breakfast all season and then they turn up and win 2-1 absolutely incredible incredible stuff I was watching it this morning I was completely blown away and we'll hear from uh, Jacob Spoonley very soon to share his thoughts on the game and the rest of the English Premier League but right now let's hear from Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp really aggressive in the beginning we, it was clear so it was absolutely clear what will happen um, but then um, reality shows um, when you are ready or if we are really ready. And uh, I think in the beginning they were more aggressive than us in these kind of challenges. They got then, um, the, I think they hit the, the post in a, so we were like passing around, stuff like this. It was a hectic game, obviously. And then they had the, the, the first chance, then they scored a goal. Um, and then we took over, if you want. Then we, were, we played the game we wanted to play, more or less. Um, Unlucky with situations, especially around set pieces, I think. I don't know how the one ball didn't go in. In a game like this against an opponent like United, that would be obviously very helpful if you could score in this moment, going 1-1 in half-time or whatever. We wanted, actually, we showed the boys two situations uh, where we did really well and where we just didn't arrive in the right moment in the box, stuff like this, where we were really passing around um, in the half spaces where they couldn't grab Bobby, where they couldn't, if we, if we used him in that moment, we had the next midfielder free, so football stuff. And you can see the second one, uh, but it doesn't help. Um, and then um, we score ours and then it's, it's a hectic game with a lot of interruptions, stuff like this. So. Um, yeah, definitely not the result we wanted. You said they were aggressive to begin with. Were they sharper than you at the, at the opening start of the game? I, 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 maybe they were. I, that's of course not right. But um, how is that? We, we when when calmed down, we were immediately there. We had an extreme number of of um, of shots for a, for an away game at United. So um, how can I say it? We. we <laughs> We, we should use then more of these moments, obviously, if you, if you do that. Um, again, second half was again, a, I think, a fantastic save of the hair, if I'm right, um, and unlucky with, with other situations. So you score in a moment like this and the game, the game turns. We were there for that, but in the end, we had not enough time or, or then power, uh, not enough power anymore in the end. That's the reason. Something we're not used to seeing either. There seems to be disharmony on the pitch. Quite a few of your players arguing with each other. Was there a problem there? Yeah, that's how it is when you that's a, when you are in a game like this. When you are fighting, then um, these guys they talk to each other, and sometimes the sound is not 100% right. But it's always the same. It um, was never different. It was always in, in, um, on the pitch. This is a different conversation than usually. That's it.
You always talk to us after the game. You talk about whether or not you liked the performance or not with your side. What did you feel tonight? Well, not perfect, of course. We lost the game, so it's a result game. That's the most important thing. Um, but it's, you know, the situation United was in, it was clear how they get out of the blocks. Um, and I think we were ready for it, but not 100%. So, but after again, so I think we, we, we all agree in a moment when we, when we have uh, this one situation where we, where we score, where we equalize, this game can, com can change completely. But we didn't use it, and we have to admit that that's not that's then in that moment not what we, what, we, what we want. And then you have to keep chasing the game, and that's never exactly what you, what you want to do. You want to be in control, stuff like this. And, um, and then when you, when you are in a rush a little bit because you're 2 nil down, then things crosses, you miss hit crosses or whatever, or passes here or there. And against the counter-attacking threat, they, are, they obviously are. That makes it really difficult. Second goal was, was a... Both goals were harsh to take, but the second especially, was, I think, really close with offside, um, that he was onside. Um, but, yeah, we have to take that down and, uh, and work with it. For different reasons, do you think you've not found your rhythm completely so far this season? We're only three games in. Yeah, that's obvious, I would say. That's obvious. We are we have, we have in, in a tricky situation injury-wise. That's how it is. We get through the week with 14, 15 senior players um, available. Uh, we have to make sure that nobody of them gets injured now um, and during the week because um, there's no, no real um, options left anymore. That's what we try. And even with our situation, I think we... That's a problem with playing a little bit better, a, bit, a little bit more convinced about what we do. We should have won this game. I know it sounds ridiculous, but uh, but that's how it, how I see it. And um, now we lost it, and now we go from here. How concerned are you about two points from nine? How concerned? I'm not sure. If concerned. I'm concerned about our situation. It's, almost, it's not easy in the moment, but it's how it is. So we deal with it, and um, we we prepare now for for Bournemouth. And then Newcastle and then Everton. So that's how it is. And um, yeah, we have we, we, we can play better. Um, we know that, but we had a lot of good moments as well, good performances as well today. Um, in the end, we lost anyway, and that's um, what we have to accept for tonight. And from tomorrow on, we will fight against it. Now let's hear from Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag. I'm really satisfied and happy and clear. Um, we wanted a different approach and well, we have got that. Can I just ask how you can be so bad at Brentford and so good tonight? What did you do? To ch can I ask how you can be so bad at Brentford and so good tonight? What did you do? I mean, surely you said the same thing before Brentford this week, so what changed? Uh, it's always, uh, you have to find out when you're coming in a club and you have to uh, get, uh, get the, the players know the behaviour of the team and so it really surprises me in, in Brentford and uh, that, is, that is not the way I want to play football I want to see a team I want to see players who, who fight and when I talk about fight it's not only about what you're doing out of possession also in possession that you have to be brave, brave and also there you have to invest in runs and I think yeah, we, we have seen that today all on the pitch you made, a, you made some big selection calls, in particular probably Cristiano Ronaldo and the captain Harry Maguire. What was your thinking behind both of those decisions? I, we have a squad, and and then we have a way of play, a style, but also a game plan. 
and then you look what is the best approach to to, um, uh, to the game, and that is what we we did today. We do that every game. So today we we picked those days players, but it can be uh, Saturday can be different, and we need the squad because we have uh, many games to cover, and so if we if we make a team out of the squad and we stick together as a squad, then we can achieve a lot. I'm convinced about that. I, I'm, I probably don't want to focus on Ronaldo and Maguire, but just those selection calls, it sends a very big message to the dressing room that no one's place is, is guaranteed week after week. The demand is for everyone, also for the manager. We have to deliver. And that, that, uh, the, uh, you have to, uh, you have obligations to, to the club, to the fans, and this is a massive club with uh, yeah, a huge fan base. So we have to deliver that. Uh, we have to be act as a team, and every individual have to give them every day the best. And that is the demand um, for the manager and also for the team. Just uh, we're on half past eight here on SENZ. That where was Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag after his side stunned Liverpool this morning 2-1 and I know there are some very happy faces around the uh, SENZ studios today and uh, there's quite a few sad ones as well and I'm staring at one. Sorry, Navit. It's uh, <laughs> We'll take a quick break and after that we'll be hearing from Jacob Spoonley. Manchester United up the table and above Liverpool who are finally beaten for the first time in a domestic game in 2022. United's first points of the season means so much to Eric Den Haag and his staff and some revitalised players, including Marcus Rashford, who sped away to score a crucial second goal to add to a delightful effort from Jadon Sancho early on, which set a lot of the style for Manchester United. There were quite a few people crying when they heard that in the SCNZ offices this morning, and I don't know if the next man was one of them. Jacob Spoonley, how upset were you with that result today? Oh, I think it was disappointing, but it wasn't unexpected for a lot of Liverpool fans. We haven't started the season particularly well, and we definitely don't have the Rolls Royce that we had last year up and running yet. But I think it's done two things, that result this morning. One, hopefully, as James Milner was emphasising the point to Van Dijk after the first goal went in, it's emphasising to this current group that they're not going to be given anything uh, this Premier League season. And secondly, away from the field, I think it's confirmed that there's a need for investment to build around Thiago in midfield, particularly in a creative sense, but also to provide an alternative for him because he simply can't go a season without missing large chunks. So I know that Jude Bellingham's um, waiting in the wings uh, might be a next season signing, but there seems to be a more pressing immediate issue that needs to be addressed. But at the end of the day, what was it, 30% possession? And Man United's fans are starting to squawk. I don't think that's sustainable for the long run. So Den Haag's still got a lot of work to do, but this is a great result for the Red Devils. Have you, have you got a message for those for those Red Devils fans out there? Yeah, you're still Liverpool in the 90s. You've still got another <laughs> decade to go. For <laughs> I can see uh, my producer and then Navid, he's got his arms up in the air going, yeah, you, you tell them, Jacob, you tell them, Jacob. Um, so you said that you expected the result wasn't too much of a surprise this morning. Is that even so, considering how poor Manchester United have been to start this campaign? 
I think if you look at United, it was a real backs-to-the-wall performance. They were coming off the back of a 4-0 drubbing by Brighton where they got completely snowballed in the first half. They were underwater within 30 minutes against the side that has only just made its way into the Premier League. Even if it's Den Haag's second game in charge, that is not good enough. So they needed a response, and they needed it immediately. And we saw that for 25 minutes. They really took the game to Liverpool, and they cut Liverpool up down that right-hand side. I imagine Alanga had been brought on purely for that reason, to get in between uh, Alexander-Arnold and Van Dijk and to exploit the space on the counter-attack. They were so direct um, at times, particularly in transition, and that really did hurt Liverpool. Uh, but as I said, this is a this is not a sustainable performance from United's perspective, and it's not the United performance that we we saw um, under the likes of the Ferguson. It's not that juggernaut yet, but there are some positive points that they can take away. But they'll love the result, and the result's the only thing at the end of the day until uh, we play a game next weekend and everyone kind of starts to move on. If I had told you. Three weeks ago, before the season started, that Arsenal would be top of the table, uh, Leeds United, uh, Brighton, Brentford would all be in that top half, and uh, Liverpool, Leicester City, West Ham, Man United would all be in the bottom half. What would you have said? <laughs> yeah, let's look at that top three. Arsenal, Man City, and Leeds United. So a team that was getting lambasted last year for underperforming uh, after chopping and changing managers for the better part of a decade, a team that had only recently returned to the Premier League and stayed there by the skin of its teeth, and then Man City, a team that you'd expect to be there, but absent Liverpool, absent Man United, absent Chelsea, uh, and even Leicester City, as you said. So, yeah, it's a tough one to kind of understand. I do think, though, that Arsenal will be the surprise package of this Premier League season. Whether or not they'll be able to maintain it for the major part of the season is yet to be seen, but the balance really is there in this Arsenal side, um, particularly with the maturing Martinelli. And then Jesus has, he's probably the missing piece to what Arteta was looking to do last year. So much more dynamicism, so much more work rate, so much more efficiency in possession um, up front for Arsenal than they had with Aubameyang um, or Pepe uh, or Lacazette last season. I know Arsenal, people are saying, well, you just look at the the teams they've beaten and people they've had a pretty fairly easy run. Uh, and I think they've got a couple more winnable, winnable games coming up. But would you say, I think is it in a couple of weeks they play Manchester United, I guess, could you really say that, could you really put them in that conversation for the top four once they've had a, a test against a team that you'd expect to be competing in that for that top six? Well, I think just to contrast your point there with the performance of Liverpool. So Liverpool have played Crystal Palace and Fulham and Man United. And if you'd asked any Liverpool fans at the start of the season if they expected to how many points they'd expect to get from those three games, you'd be looking at seven or nine points from Liverpool fans. And that's a reflection on how poor Man United have been over the last couple of seasons. But they've only ended up with two points. So Arsenal has converted what they've had in front of them. You can only play what's um, what you can play and Arsenal have controlled the games in which they've been expected to win. So that's a kind of return to form for Arsenal. I still think, though, Ben, that we're in the first two months of the season and there's always surprise packages in the Premier League. You've got your Sheffield United um, that go through and surprise everybody. And we need to wait for around 
seven to ten games to really get a sense of what uh, or where teams will be. We'll get a sense of where teams are under the pressure. They haven't got their recruitment quite right over the course of the off-season. You'll get a sense of the team that's going to box on and punch above its weight. And then you'll get a sense of what I really think will happen is who potentially will run away with it and make it a top two or a top three and that run into Christmas. Yeah, and that's why I get you on to be the expert, mate, because you see things a lot, a lot better than me, and you explain them much more better. So I give you kudos for that. But I guess, uh, I guess part of it as well is that I guess those kind of games that Arsenal had to start off the season. I guess the other kind of results that maybe last year they probably would have got a draw in or even had a loss, but now they guess they're converting those into the wins, which is what you kind of need to do to be competing for that top four. Exactly, and you do really build the castle, the foundation of the castle needs in this first part. Liverpool are playing catch-up, and it's crazy to say even after three games, but two points from nine is nowhere near good enough, and it's nowhere near the form that we've seen them start seasons with, particularly when they've set themselves up for a a head-on collision with Man City in the run into lifting that Premier League trophy. But Arsenal, if we just look at it, 2-0 against Crystal Palace, 4-2 against Leicester City, and 3-0 against Bournemouth. Not only... Is that attacking football where you're looking at more than two goals per game in the first three games for Arsenal? So that attacking front foot, exciting football they would expect from someone who's developed himself under Guardiola. And Arteta really does have this team humming in the early stages. And you've also got a really solid defensive foundation. And I think it's that balance that we're seeing from Arsenal, albeit one that hasn't been tested yet, which is really exciting. For me, they've also unearthed a real talent. At the back, um, in the likes of Saliba, I think he's looking sound. He's probably that defensive piece that they didn't have last year. So we've already talked about Jesus up front and perhaps being that finishing piece, that foundational piece for other players to play off and also to provide the cutting edge himself. Saliba is the player that provides the metal and he's also really comfortable on the ball. With, he's kind of like that Arsene Wegner style centre-back where he is very well-rounded and comfortable playing out on his goal line, taking the ball towards that defensive press and beyond it at times. Um, So for me, he's one of those ones that you probably want to keep your eye on as uh, someone that could be a foundational piece for this Arsenal team. What about a couple of teams near the bottom of the table? Well, actually at the bottom, West Ham and Leicester, both no wins, uh, both struggling. Is it panic stations already? Or is it kind of like we were saying before, it's only early in the season, just remain calm, everyone? I think West Ham, it's probably a case of remain calm, see where they come out, see when they come out of this. And I say that because David Moyes is a settled, steady pair of hands. They probably overachieved last year, and it'll be a case of perhaps tempering expectations for the season. However, Leicester City, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on Brendan Rodgers. Not only do we see them kind of splutter towards the finish line last year, we're we're used to seeing them kind of taking points off the top four, maybe getting that top six. They didn't get near there last year. And when you lose the likes of Schmeichel right before the season, and he's been your captain over the course of the last two years, you've got to start asking questions about what that changing room's like. And we have seen from Brendan Rodgers at times a tendency to overcomplicate things, maybe not to get the right man management in certain situations. And that is something that could really affect the performance of the team. So not only have you lost your captain in Schmeichel, but also 
there's it's indicative of issues within the change room and potentially not having the right dynamic for the season. So I think he's one of the interesting ones to see uh, in terms of what kind of pressure he will have on him because we're not just talking about the start of the season, we're talking about what happened last year and potentially how long he'll stay in the, in the role. What kind of leash has he got from the Leicester management? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Of course, there's a couple of players here as well that have been linked to moves overseas, or not overseas, to other clubs, and they haven't played because it's been quite a bit of a distraction. And they got Chelsea up uh, this weekend, Leicester. So you'd probably, I guess if you're a betting man, you'd probably say that bad start to the season is going to continue. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I, I get it. If you look at Chelsea's record here, four points from three games, again, another side that you'd expect to be up in that top four. And I just wonder, with the new ownership in charge, the new American-based um, bank account that is overseeing the management and hopefully the elevation of Chelsea back into a side that's challenging for the title, I'm not sure Tuchel's whining and whinging is going to go down particularly well. He is someone that under pressure does start to get a little bit of niggle about him. It starts to become everyone else's fault. And I'm not sure that'll inspire the ownership. So if there was to be someone else that potentially is looking to stamp their authority on their new club, to put their fingerprints on something, to really define the project that they want to see implemented in the Premier League, um, I'd suggest that Thomas Tuchel potentially is a little, under a little bit of pressure. He's probably got a bit of a shadow over him with that new ownership. And if he doesn't get the results early on, I don't think he'll be changed, but I think he'll be, you'll start to see a movement away from him throughout the course of the season. Um, but he's got a lot of resource available to him, and that'll be something that's going to be very intimidating towards, for Leicester City. Another struggling team is uh, Everton and Frank Lampard, of course, is the manager <laughs> manager there at the moment. And there's been lots of, I guess, talk around the future of Dali Alley there. You know, what do you make of all that? Yeah, I think Mourinho probably summed it up in that now viral um, moment where, what was it, the Amazon series inside Tottenham, I think is, is what it was. Ben, you could probably help me out with what, what that is, um, if I can tap dance for a little bit longer. But it effectively is Jose Mourinho sitting Ellie Deli down and, and when he got the Tottenham job and saying, time passes you by very quickly. I'm 56 today, but I used to be, like yesterday I was 20. And I don't want you to miss any opportunities. And you just get the sense that that's now starting to play out as Deli Ali looks at options away from Everton. And you're talking about the Turkish Super League, which really is a bit of a retirement ground for the likes of players that have played in top leagues like Germany, like Serie A, and like the Premier League. So if that's an indication as to who's interested in Deli Ali away from Everton and the fact that he doesn't want to stay at Everton and fight for his role under Frank Lampard and they're willing to let him go, that really is a sign that he could, his star could start to wane if it hasn't already started. Uh, Jacob Spooner is my guest here on SNZ Extra Time. And Jacob, before I let you go, Liverpool face Bournemouth this weekend. Were they going to get that first win of the season? I hope so, but the template isn't really playing out for Liverpool. If you look at Crystal Palace, if you look at Fulham, they're both sides that you probably put into the conversation along with Bournemouth about teams that Liverpool should beat. Um, I would expect that the the checkbook's going to come out. There's going to be some sort of signing in the midfield that'll hopefully start to spark, start to really get this Liverpool team jolted and going forward in the right direction. I don't think Klopp's going to stand for any nonsense. 
And the players, although they've done well in the last couple of seasons, if you're not performing, he wants a team that's in the conversation at the right end of the season. And I think he'll get that one way or the other. Um, I love when James Miller started getting his finger out this morning and saying this isn't good enough, particularly to Van Dyke, who really has been a talisman for this Liverpool team. So expect a reaction. I've, I said Bournemouth might uh, be the team that could be in the banana skin, but if I'm looking at it and I'm looking at who I don't want to be facing just after they had probably the most disappointing 90 minutes in a couple of seasons, it would be Liverpool. Jacob Spoonley, thank you very much for your time tonight and talking uh, English Premier League here with your uh, one of your favourite people here at SCNZ. <laughs> yeah. More so than Ricardo Ball, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's Jacob Spoonley there talking all things English Premier League. We're 11 minutes away from nine here on SCNZ. Six minutes away from nine here on SCNZ Extra Time. Had quite a few good guests on the show tonight talking a wide range of sports. Just had Jacob Spoonley on talking about the English Premier League. Campbell Burns, editor of Rugby News Magazine, on a bit earlier talking all things NPC. In the previous hour, Pete Fairburn talking about stuff, uh, big events happening in Australia. And before that, we had the host of the Warriors Anonymous podcast, Jared Cronin. And if you want to check out all those interviews, then jump along to our social channels. But coming up after 9 o'clock, we have a very, very special edition of At The Oki. And boy, I'm excited. I'm actually exhausted. Today has been a frantic day. It's been a, a heap of fun. Uh, we had all the big, big stars from the PDC in the SCNZ office today. So I caught up with... Uh, most of them, a bit of a chat about all sorts of things, really. Everyone was quite different. Uh, some were a bit longer than others, but it was actually great. Uh, you know, meeting some of these people, I've, since covering darts, I've actually spoken to lots of these people over the phone, over Zoom, because they haven't been able to come here for the last three years, and now they're finally here, so it's fantastic. Uh, it was great seeing some of them and actually getting that face-to-face interaction, getting some photos and quite a few fun games around the office as well. So that's all coming up for you on At The Yockey on SENZ. Got myself and yes, people need to stop texting this in. I'm serious. Ben Rob is here, okay? He is here. Need to stop texting this because I get a bit upset that Ben is here. He's got his brand new shirt on as well, I think. So he's going to be he's gonna be rocking that on uh, the Yockey this weekend in Hamilton. But We're going to be talking all things darts after 9pm here on SENZ. So I'd like to...